My wife received a note on Friday, I think it was. And the very first sentence on that note was, What a week this has been! And people jokingly said earlier, last week, I was reading people on the internet or just talking, saying, oh my word, next week's going to be crazy. I mean, we've got a full moon coming. We've got all of this other stuff happening. And then Friday the 13th. What a way to have a crazy week. And honestly, if you look at our week this past week, oh my word. (laughs) It was like, wow. I mean, I am not a person who has cash tied up in the stock market. But Thursday, for those of you who did, oh, did you know that the stock market actually stopped trading for 15 minutes? Why? Because everyone was going cuckoo nuts. And they were going to crash the entire system. And so they said, okay, stop. And this has been put in place. I learned this. I didn't even know this existed. This was, this was put in place after the, the Great Recession that happened in 2008 because they, they were like, we cannot let worldwide panic crash our world system. Because back in the 1929s when the, the Depression happened, they didn't have the Internet. They didn't have social media. And so the, the craziness of New York didn't, didn't get impacted by everything that was going on in, in Australia or Italy or Korea. It was just what was going on in New York and, and somewhere in the United States. And so they literally put these stop gaps in place to protect. And I honestly never thought my life was going to be touched, quite honestly. I'm in Fairbanks, Alaska. I'm in Two Rivers, Alaska. My life is not going to be impacted by the coronavirus, please. I have a niece who lost her job. I have a nephew who lost his job. I have a friend whose mother-in-law is dying right now because of coronavirus. I have a community whose firefighter was tested, but thank God was not found to be positive. That was close. What was really cool, though, and and I posted this to my nephew in California, because my nephew in California is this vocal blah, 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 about all that's going on. And he's, I mean, anyway, he and I had this engaging conversations at times online. And he posted something about the panic and everyone being fear mongers and all of this stuff. And I wrote back to him and I said, you know, I just finished this week reading a book called Learning to Lead Like Jesus. And in that book, the author said... That a leader, when their organization is facing a crisis, the best thing the leader can do is to remain calm. To present a a calm, steady, even persona. Even if on the inside they're not that way. They're going crazy on the inside. But they can present to to their organization peace and calm. I, an hour and a half after finishing that book, there was a live broadcast by Governor Dunleavy in the state of Alaska announcing that we had had the very first confirmed case of coronavirus. And if you go to that video, you can find it. It's online right now. Uh, the very first 13 minutes of it is watching a, a podium and a microphone. 
because it took them 13 minutes from the time they started the video until anybody actually stood behind it and started talking. But at minute 13, Governor Dunleavy stands at that podium and he begins talking. And you listen to him for one and a half minutes as he's just talking about what's going on. And he literally, with his, with his hand, he's going, nothing to worry about. This was expected. We are not taken by... He's literally doing this. You hear in the tone of his voice, we're good. We have been thinking about this for weeks. We have been planning. It's here. There's only two states in all of the United States that haven't yet got a coronavirus. We, it happened a little bit faster than we thought it was going to happen, but it's the reality, And but we're okay. And then he let the experts come in and start talking. And I wrote to my nephew and I said, I just observed the governor of my state implementing exactly what I just read about learning to lead as Jesus leads. Don't freak out. Don't panic. And let your people know that everything's okay. And as I have been praying, Lord how has my congregation been impacted this week? Are there anybody in my in my community that's concerned or worried or frustrated? And I honestly, I wasn't hearing anybody screaming and hollering and going up, getting all upset. I've heard people say, "Oh, listen, I got enough food to last me two months if I needed to. I've got, we're fine." Well, then my wife says, "We're going to get a group of people." To come to the church early on Sunday morning, just going to wipe all the services, wipe the doorknobs, just being safe, doing what we're supposed to do. And I said, well, let's go into town. And she said, well, you're not going to find any sanitizer and a hand sanitizer or wipes, but we can at least get some isopropyl alcohol. And I, I've got a recipe. I can make some stuff. I said, okay. So I, she's driving and dropping me off at the door, and I'm walking in. I go into Home Depot. Nothing. Which I didn't expect to find it, but, you know, there's nothing. Then I go into Lowe's. Nothing. Then I go into, what was the other store I went to? Walmart, which I hate going into Walmart. <laughs> I do not shop at Walmart unless I absolutely have no other choice. <laughs> has nothing to do with Walmart. It's just I hate crowds and I hate shopping in a big, crazy, uh, boxy. And I don't go to Costco for the same reason. Um, nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I, I literally, I mean, I'm thinking, I'm going to go out to the car, and my wife's going to say, did you look? Yes, I looked. Did you really look? Yes, I did. Did you ask? I'll go back and ask. So I was like, no. And I literally stood in line at the pharmacy at Walmart, waiting and waiting and waiting. I'm the only one in line, literally. I'm the only one in line. And I waited almost two minutes. Because all the pharmacy people are all busy. Finally, this person comes to the counter. Yes, can I help you? Hi. Do you guys even sell isopropyl rubbing alcohol 91%? And if so, where would it be found? She said, yes, we do. It's on the bottom shelf, but it's nothing there, and we won't have any for a week or two. Okay. So then we called Walgreens. We do carry it, and our, it's on our shipment that will be arriving on Tuesday. And I was like, okay, fine. And I turned to Renee, and I said, I know where I've got some canisters of sanitizing. She said, no, we're good. I'm fine. Okay. So we get home. And we're doing all of this stuff. And then I had been invited to go to a pastor's prayer meeting last night to pray over the needs of our city and to pray for what's going on in our world. And so I went and I realized as I was sitting there listening to these pastors relay, relate some of the things that they're, they're going on in their world and in their congregations. I was just completely roiled up and all, 
And I was like, God, what in the world is this? I was fine until I went into town. And I got amongst those crazies who were walking the aisles going, literally. I mean, I was just like, and I was so upset. And I thought, God, I can't do this. Well, then we had our meeting and some things were said in that meeting, which you're going to hear in just a few minutes. But I just, I began to reflect on that. I told my wife when I got home, I said, I heard some really powerful things at that meeting. And God really spoke to me as we prayed. And I went to bed last night truly going, you know, I, I still don't have a clear understanding, Lord, what it is that you want me to say. But I trust that tomorrow morning when I get up, you'll speak to me. And so I went to bed at my normal hour and I got up this morning. I had set my alarm for a certain time, but I woke up two and a half hours early, but I was cool with that. And all of a sudden it was like, and there was a, uh, there was a scripture that I memorized years ago in King James. Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. I was like, that's a good word, God. He said, yeah, I want you to talk about that this morning. And so I was like, well, where is it? Because I don't remember. Because <laughs> I memorized lots of good verses, but I never memorized the addresses. You want to know the address? Ask my wife. She's got it down. I have to look it up on a concordance. And so I, I, I pulled it up in a concordance and I found it. It's Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. And so I began reading this morning in my commentaries and just meditating and chewing on and reflecting. And I want to share with you a little bit of what I learned. As a matter of fact, I went back and listened to one of my sermons from four years ago. I got a good word back then, and it was good this morning. I was in tears this morning. I was listening to myself preach. I'm good. But really, what the deal was is I had spent I had spent weeks, months. Going, well, year, year and a half, actually, going through the book of Isaiah with you guys back then. And I, I remember the Lord brought it to my memory. He said, and I, go back to that sermon, Bob. You can find it. Go back and find it. And it took a little bit of time to find it, but I found it. Um, and and I, I wasn't going to share this, but let me share a little bit. I, I haven't had a chance to say anything to my wife, so I don't want to hurt her feelings. But that sermon that I listened to this morning was preached on the Sunday following the death of my wife's brother. And that week for us was a chaotic, horrible week in our life. And I shared from my heart when I preached. I was genuine and authentic with you. You guys knew what was going on because Renee wasn't here. She was in Texas supporting her family. And my family had just arrived. My sister and my niece and nephew had just arrived, literally almost crossing. Uh, you know, Renee left in the morning and they came that night or something like that. So it was, it was a crazy time for us. And, but I was being genuine and honest and real. And, and so the Lord said, go back and listen to that because it's really good, meaty stuff. And I didn't want to repeat everything that I said then, now. But at the same time, there is nothing new under the sun. So I can repeat some of it because it will be fresh to you because you didn't listen back then. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But one of the things that I learned then that sticks with me even to this day and it wasn't just from this morning as I was reflecting it's something that has stuck with me forever ever since I learned it if you read through chapter 26 verse 3 it says you God 
Yahweh will keep the one in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. And that, that phrase, perfect peace, does anyone remember without looking in your own little concordance or your own little electronic tra- uh, dictionaries, what is the, the Hebrew? Shalom. Almost. She's half right. It's shalom, shalom. It's not just shalom. It's shalom, shalom. Which means the most perfect, whole, complete peace you could ever experience. Not just peace, but the peace. In the in the New Testament, you're talked about it's talked about the peace that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds. In Philippians chapter four, verses six through nine. And it, it literally says, and that's one of my favorite passages of scripture. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So, in, in, in the New Testament, Paul, a scholar of the Old Testament, is talking about, by coming to God with your prayers and your petitions and your thanksgiving, by doing so, This shalom, shalom will guard you, will be with you. Think about that. Now, if you look one verse further in Isaiah chapter 26, it says not only be, you know, that they're going to have perfect peace, but then it says, verse 20, verse 4 says, Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. And I I said it in my sermon, but then I read it again in one of the commentaries this morning. So God was emphasizing it double hard for me. This again is imagery. This again is something that has been important to me as a Christian, not just as a minister of the gospel. For years, I don't know if if any, if Evelyn, you might remember this, Renee, you might remember this, I don't remember who else might have been part of this, but we used to meet at a home down in the valley on Lake Trout Road for Bible study. And every year, I wasn't the leader of the Bible study, it was somebody else who was the leader, but every year in that Bible study, the leader said at January time frame, what is your word for the year? What is the word that God has given you that's going to be the word that you hold on to? And not, a, not when they say that, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a passage of scripture that they were talking about. They were talking about an actual word, a noun, or a verb, or whatever. What word... Has got, and they, they said, pray about it, meditate on it, and come back next week. And if you're not ready then, then come back in a week. But, but over the month of January, we all prayerfully discerned the word God had for us. Well, my word for two years in a row was rock. 
And the image that I had, and I lost the picture. It made me so sick. The image that I had, I found on the internet, there was a rock, there was a promontory, then you could see the, all of the, the chasm behind it, but there was a, a promontory, and then there was a hollowed out space underneath the promontory, and then the rest of the cliff. And there was a human being sitting underneath the promontory within the cleft of the rock. I can't think of the song. It's right here on the tip of my tongue. That shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of his love and covers me there with his hand and covers me there with his hand. Well, that's imagery right out of the Old Testament. When the prophet, I don't remember his name at this moment, when the prophet went to see God because he needed to talk to God because his life was going crazy. And he was literally, God said, I'll let you see my glory, but you can't see my face. You can see my back. And so, was it Moses? God put Moses in the cleft of the rock, covered him with his hand while he passed by, and then released and let him see his glory from the rear. The imagery that I got as I was reading this, the, 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 the commentary, and again from my sermon from four years ago, was in a battle, when you are fighting, it's always better to have two or three warriors back to back so that they can defend themselves at the same time they're defending their partners. Because if you are surrounded by your enemy and you're the only one in the middle, at some point they're going to get you because you have to turn your back to the enemy. But if you can be back to back with another warrior, then the two of you can guard each other. And if there's three, that's even better. Wouldn't it even be better if the other one that had your back was the almighty Jehovah Sabaoth. Amen. And this this imagery that is spoken of here in verse 4 of chapter 26 of Isaiah is imagine the one who trusts in the Lord literally it says the Lord is an everlasting rock and the imagery that's spoken of here is that idea of being in the cleft of the rock God completely surrounding you from all sides except the opening that you're facing. And from there, you're able to do the battle that you're able to do. Because see, it's really unrealistic to say, oh, God's got me. I don't have to face anything. God's got me. Because in reality, those words will fall flat most of the time. And then your faith which is based on not necessarily accurate theology, is going to get all crumbly and all weak. Because the reality is, in, at least in my experience, God has never surrounded me in a sphere of perfect protection where the enemy cannot get any access to me. What I see, though, that is God that protects me, surrounds me, and gives me the tools necessary to fight the battle that I'm supposed to be fighting But God never leaves me. He never fails me. He always undergirds me. He always guards me. He always protects me. But he also expects me to do the part that is my part. 
So, as I'm looking at this and thinking about the chaos of the world right now and my crazy world that's not supposed to be touched because I'm in the farthest north reaches and nobody's supposed to get to me, I look at this and I think, God, I want that shalom, shalom to completely envelop me. I want to not be anxious for anything. I want to be aware of your protection, your armor, your rockness around me. But that's not all that's found in Isaiah 26. Because if you go further in this chapter, around verse 9 and 10, it says, My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you, God. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, they don't learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and doesn't see the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they don't see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Now, I am not in any way saying that the coronavirus and all of this craziness is the hand of God's judgment coming against humanity. Do not hear me saying that. But what I am saying, and what I heard last night from one of the pastors, and we prayed over this, was that the normal human reaction to anything, not Christian reaction, but normal human reaction is to defend oneself, to protect oneself, to guard. And if it's and, and if nothing else, it's gonna be me and my family are gonna get through. I mean, and we, you've heard me preach it recently about the idea of the oxygen mask coming down when the plane is having problems. The very first thing you're supposed to do is put your own oxygen mask on, because you have to. But we talked about it in Sunday school with the kids this morning. If you see somebody else struggling, how do you respond? What do you do? What is it that you need to do? And quite honestly, rescuing is not necessarily the best answer. Because if indeed God has ordained that something go on, because God has a purpose for it, then maybe the best thing for us to do is to walk the path that God lays before us, keeping our focus on God and our trust on God so that the people who aren't paying any attention to God have an opportunity to finally recognize that their own resources are not enough, their own strength is not enough, and that they would get knocked to their knees or even onto their back and have no place but to look to look but up. 
Now, that sounds very unloving and very unkind and very not compassionate. I understand that. But you know, sometimes if you say no to a two-year-old, don't touch, don't touch, don't touch. Okay, go ahead and touch. See, that's why I didn't want you to touch. So sometimes the consequences are beneficial. Sometimes it's okay to let someone struggle, hurt, because God has a purpose and a plan and a reason for allowing it to happen. Now, again, I am not saying somebody dying of the coronavirus is God's will. Don't hear me saying that. But what I am saying is this is an opportunity for the Holy Spirit of God to get people's attention. And if he can see, if they, the human beings who are not in right relationship with God, can see Christians responding in a not normal way, the Holy Spirit of God can use that as well. Because if all of us Christians start running crazy through the stores grabbing 75 packages of toilet paper for heaven's sake, because I've got to be protected for me and my family... What are they going to think about your trust, your faith, your belief that there is a God who cares and takes care of you? Now, at the same time, that doesn't mean you don't buy toilet paper. Because you do need it. But you don't have to follow the path that the world is following. And you don't have to get upset. And so frantic because the enemy, literally, I've shared this with you before, and, and, and I, this is the imagery that I have in my brain. It's, I can only use things that God has brought me through. Back when I lived in the Philippines, I went through a haunted trail in the jungle in the Philippines. It was a Halloween event, and literally, Frankenstein, a ghoul, and Dracula were on three sides of me, and I nearly wet my pants. I was so scared. I was screaming, blind, blind white fright. My wife was laughing at me because it was so bad. I'm literally going, ah, ah, ah. Funny. I was real and I was scared. Okay? But see, the enemy of your soul is going to try and do that. Why? Number one, to hurt you. Number two, to discredit God's credibility in the eyes of the world. Number three, just because he hates God. So our, our whole way of responding to this chaos is to not allow the craziness to grab hold. Because literally, for me, yesterday, after two hours of walking through store aisles, it had started to latch on. Not because I was wanting to panic, not because I was wanting to get frantic or upset, but literally the thoughts that started happening in my brain were not that I couldn't get antiseptic or Lysol or uh, wipes or alcohol, but my thoughts started to going, oh my word, 
I live in Two Rivers, Alaska. And there's only Fred Meyers, Costco, Walmart, Safeway, and the base. And if the supply line gets cut, I have nothing. Literally, these are the thoughts that started roiling in my head as I'm sitting there waiting for a prayer meeting to start. And I couldn't understand where all that was coming from because I am not normally one who sits there and goes, oh, worry, worry, worry over the food chain. We have, as my wife has said, we have enough food right now. If everything got cut off, we could survive for more than a month and a half easily in our house. But the reality was the enemy had gotten a foothold, a claw hold. And he was trying to take away my ability to trust. And it took intentional prayer and focus on God to overcome that that was trying to cause harm. And so the word that I feel like God said to say to you this morning is, be still and know that I've got it. Turn to Psalm 46. We're going to close by reading this together. I know we're all in different, you know, blah, 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 different translations, but that's okay. Psalm 46. If you want to read along with me or if you, if you want to uh, read it out loud with me, that's fine, but I'm going to read. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Psalm 46, verses 1 through 11. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even if the earth gives away, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has bought, brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to honor you. Help us to advance your kingdom by keeping our hearts, our eyes, our words, our minds completely focused on you 
and trust you for everything. Father, I pray that even as Fairbanks, Alaska and Two Rivers and Pleasant Valley starts going crazy, I pray for a rock-solid trust and faith and hope in you that I can point people to the real resource, the one that they can truly trust and depend on. I ask all of this in the name of Jesus.